I, I can't focus unless the gun is on the table. Nothing is normal or natural or everything is game. I'm gonna start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for freaking fire miles. We have to get out of this building. They made soup out of my research department. See, this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. Well, do you realize that the monetary value of this podcast and the prize is potentially worth more than the purchases? Hello, and welcome to Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator, the only podcast that I'm aware of about Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Paul W.S. Anderson. My name is Eric Anderson. And my name is Jeremy Anderson. Eric, I want to smash your face with a sledgehammer. You're so cute. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> that is what my my favorite uh, one of my favorite moments in that movie. Uh, we're talking punch drunk today. <laughs> this is an episode that I've been really looking forward to. Same. Um, yeah, I was so will... I was so looking forward to it that I I pre purchased the Criterion Collection and just waited to watch it for this week and just been staring at it on my shelf and getting excited, getting pumped for it. So I'm glad to finally get a chance to watch it and talk about it. I can't wait. Did you uh, dive into any special feet? Are there any special features on there that you there took are? A look at? I didn't have time to watch all of them yet, but I definitely, uh, you know, I turned on that mattress man commercial. Oh, great. Love it. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? The one where he like falls from a building onto the mattresses and then just completely eats shit on the, on the concrete. Have you seen that before? No. Oh, dude. That sounds great. You've got to watch it. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman. I don't I can't tell if it's a practical effect or if it's really him just like totally eating shit on concrete, but he like it's a mattress man commercial where he jumps from a building <laughs> holding a guitar and he goes to land on a bunch of mattresses in the back of a truck, but his he like jumps too far and completely bounces off the mattresses and like lands on the concrete face down <laughs> and it's like it's the funniest and kind of most shocking thing i've ever seen and it looks like really si- philip seymour hoffman did that i don't know if it's true but man we miss him we miss you know i sometimes i will look at like the movies that have come out in the past five or so years. And I wonder what, what Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been in, you know, mm-hmm. like, I wonder if he would have been in like a safety brothers movie. Oh dude. Of course I could see him yeah. being a character in uncut gems. Me too. Me too. Um, Jeremy, you know, maybe he would have made a, uh, a brief appearance in Hubie Halloween. Uh, I mean, who knows? Wouldn't that have been something? <laughs> I would have liked to see him do uh, like just a real screwball comedy. Yeah, because to my recollection, I don't think that he has. Well, he all he the the fun. I guess the most comedic performance he did was with Ben Stiller. So what was that movie called? Um, I uh, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> but do you know what I'm talking about? Where he plays like the the best friend. Who's Along came Polly. Along came Polly. That's the name of it. Yeah. Have you not? Have you seen Along yeah. Came oh, Polly? Okay. If I did, it was a long time ago. I believe I, yeah, the I term "sharded" came from that movie. Okay. <laughs> All right. Great. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, and, I, and it was you know, said, of course, look- by Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. You know what? I probably did see that at some point. 
Um, but Jeremy, let's save that for our Long Came Polly uh, podcast. Right, sure. <laughs> uh, called Polly Pels, mm-hmm. and uh, let's Poly you know we we have a um, a Patreon, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Jeremy, it's almost the Christmas month, and well, I think we're gonna have to be doing some Christmas movies over there pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So now's a good time to sign up, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. We just did. No Shave November in October. We did a bunch of uh, spooky movies, including Hubie Halloween. And uh, it's a great time. You get weekly bonus episodes, yeah. five bucks a month. We already got a jump on the Christmas season by covering Santa Claus, the Santa Claus with Tim Allen in November. So, yes, you can already and, get, get in, the, in the vibe of the season by listening to that there. Yes, and if you listen to that episode, you know that I am already in the in the Christmas Christmas vibe. I pretty much started November first, Jeremy. I'm, right, it's Christmas for me for two months now. Right, right. Yes, I, yeah. You know, even going into twenty twenty one, I might need a whole year of Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought of an idea for a screenplay, <laughs> and I might edit that out. Okay, <laughs> a whole year of year Christmas. of Christmas. Yeah, love that. Uh, yeah, and then like the moral of the story, like someone wishes. Here's the here's the premise, and nobody steal this. I'm not gonna write it, but I just want to know that I had this idea and no one stole it. Um, the premise is someone loves Christmas so much, maybe a kid, and just wishes every day is Christmas. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we kind of watch them live this sort of Groundhog Day uh, experience of every single day is Christmas. And then they start to take Christmas for granted, and they realize that Christmas is special because it comes once a year. What do you think of that? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I also, here's you a- see here's that a, on the Hallmark Channel. Here's a adjacent pitch. It's this kind of like loser stoner guy, and he, you know, his girlfriend dumps him and, around Christmas, and he's just, he loves Christmas so much. Maybe he's one of these guys who like- takes Christmas way too seriously, but does, like, doesn't really have a mm. job and it really affects his life. And and mm. so he decides, you know what? What I really want out of life is just Christmas all year long. So he spends a year of his life completely still in the Christmas season. Uh, decorate, he keeps his house decorated. Uh, he's wearing a Santa suit most of the year. <laughs> uh, and all of his friends just slowly all like abandon him. <laughs> oh man uh i love it i you know that could be a double feature jeremy yeah and, yeah. Uh, yeah it's up to you which one you want to watch first mm-hmm. but uh jeremy this is i think this is the earliest i just want to mention this i think this is the earliest we've recorded before it's we're in two different time zones it's before noon for both of us it's very early for you yeah 9 a.m uh, baby I'm drinking a protein shake. I've never drunk a protein shake during a recording before. It's 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 an odd combo, but wow. uh, you know, if if we sound uh, like we like we both just woke up recently, it's probably it's probably true. Uh, That's true. So, I'm wearing, I'm drinking coffee, FYI. So just so the listener knows it. what I'm drinking, I'm just coffee. So so uh, there. Great. <laughs> and we let us know what you're drinking. Yeah, let's uh, know what you're you drinking. Know, tweet at us. Write in. Uh, send us letters. Uh, Jeremy Punch Drunk Love. I know you're a big PTA fan. Yes. Uh, and I believe you mentioned that Punch Drunk is a favorite of yours. Yep. 
Uh, it's going into this, uh, and we'll get to what I feel, how I feel about this after watching Punch Drunk uh, the other night. Great. But before we started doing this, I have just kind of always thought Punch Drunk is my favorite PTA movie, and I would love to know what your uh, initial feelings were on Punch Drunk and what your history is with this movie. Um, my history is this was the movie, this was his le- latest film when I first found out about Paul Thomas Anderson. Does that make sense? So like when I first mm-hmm. started, when I first heard about him and got into all of his films, I obviously looked up, well, what movie did he do last? And it was Punch Drunk Love. And it, and I think it was, I think I pretty much, it had just left theaters when I was starting to get into PTA. Yeah, this is 2002. Oh yeah. So this is definitely the year I would have started watching like all of his stuff. And um And yeah, I remember like thinking this doesn't make sense. Why why would he why is he working with the Sandman? Like this is an art house guy and Adam Sandler is a comedy guy. Like I just remember like in my kind of in my 16-year-old brain at the time, that not really computing like I don't get it. Like what, what happened or, or, and I didn't really understand like anything about the industry or, you know, keep in mind, this is like, I'm just starting to realize what a director of photography is and stuff. Like, so I didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I wrote this movie off for a long time. It actually took me maybe a year after I heard about it to even give it a shot. And I'll never forget. I, 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 I straight up, I think I just bought that double disc DVD. You know what I'm talking about? That special edition DVD where it's just his profile shot on the cover. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, grabbed that, turned it on, and I remember like, I remember just thinking it was just very weird. I mean, it. I just, I just, I, I don't know if I fully got it at the time, but I just thought it was like a really strange movie. And then, like with all Paul Thomas Anderson movies, I would end up doing a lot of research on the film. And started discovering all the Easter eggs and all the secrets about it and learning about the healthy choice scam and and all of this stuff. And and I remember a lot of this information was on Paul Thomas Anderson's website where he was also selling cigarettes at the time out of his website. <laughs> Do you remember this era of no. PTA? Yeah, yeah, it was a very strange time in the in the early two thousands, mid mid aughts where um, I, he was selling like, cause he was like, I, cause I remember I was smoking. I like to smoke Lucky Strike cigarettes, and you couldn't find them anywhere. And I remember like googling, like, can I just buy these online? And I remember like, it took me to Paul Thomas Anderson's website. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I just, um, I just, I just, I, over time, I would watch this film more and more, and grow to appreciate it more and more to the point where. It, it became one of my favorites too, although I never considered it a favorite. And, uh, you know, it's still not my favorite of all of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. Um, I think that this one grows on you more and more. Like, it's it's weird that how, like, Boogie Nights and Magnolia, like, Magnolia even more than Boogie Nights, sort of, like, they age out. I don't know. It's like It's like... There's something about Magnolia that feels a little old to me now when I rewatch it, right? Like it feels like, mm-hmm. oh, there's some, yep. b- there's some kind of older ideas in here, and, and 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 same with kind of Boogie Nights. But when I watch Punch Drunk Love, I'm like, there's just this movie's gonna last forever. That's my feeling about it. Is it's just gonna last for the end of eternity? Because there's, it's just, it's so um, evergreen and in its own world and. 
Um, yeah, I watched this with Jackie, and uh, I, I won't get into exactly how I felt about it watching it this time until the end, but I will say my girlfriend Jackie, who had only... I think she'd maybe seen it once when she was a child, like very young. Uh, her report back was this movie was like amazing. She like loved awesome. watching it. Love that. Where, whereas, I don't know if I told you this, but in Magnolia, she watched that and just was like, not for me. <laughs> yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So this movie, she really, she just absolutely loved it, and and I and it was so fun to watch her watch it through her eyes with all the surprises in it because there's like some shocking moments where she was like, <gasps> you know, like kind of gasping at, at certain parts, mm. like with the four brothers and stuff, and um, and yeah, it's just yeah. So what about you, Eric? So this was your favorite of his? Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I can't remember what was my first PTA movie I'd seen. I I think maybe I think Bo- I think it was Boogie Nights. And so here's the thing about this movie is I was, you know, a huge Adam Sandler fan. You know, we were both big it sounds like you were a big Adam Sandler fan as well. You know, at the time that you and I were both growing up, um you know, I feel like we're both at that age where when we were sort of preteen or like kind of, you know, in middle school or whatever, like we were kind of getting like what some might consider to be like peak goofy, happy Madison, mm-hmm. Adam Sandler movies, mm-hmm. like the water boy, uh, the wedding singer, the big daddy, stuff like that. Little Nikki. Um, but we also had like a little bit of stuff like before that, like airheads and Billy Madison and, and, you know, so kind of like the perfect time for like a comedy, a, a future comedy nerd to discover Adam Sandler. And this movie came out in Oh two. And I remember the marketing for this movie. I remember seeing a trailer and seeing commercials for it. And I think I even remember Adam Sandler going on uh, Letterman to promote this. Mm. And this, to put in context, I was 13 and I was very much into like SNL and uh, specifically Adam Sandler era SNL. And this movie is sandwiched between The Animal (laughs) and Mr. Deeds. And then after that, we get Eight Crazy Nights and Anger Management. Oh, so Adam eight Sandler's crazy like, nights. dude, we got to do Eight Crazy Nights for Christmas this year. That's a good idea. I'm, I'm down. I'm down. We should do that. Mm-hmm. And this is, I would say, like the the start of the sort of uh, decline isn't the right word, but like the start of when I think myself and it seems like a lot of people fell off of Sandler is maybe right after anger management. He did like 50 first dates and mm. Spanglish and, you know, eventually click and, you know, he kind of went off in this sort of rom-com world, but you know, 2002 Adam Sandler was like huge for me. And it was, uh, so strange to me seeing this, uh, sort of dark trailer for an Adam Sandler movie that it was like, dark and mysterious and seemed dramatic right uh even though it kind of is a comedy and it's called punch drunk love which is just a cool name and it seemed artsy and i was like what the hell is this i really want to see this but i was 13 so this was one of those movies where i was like like halloween h2o was one like this for me which that turned out to be a huge disappointment 
But <laughs> one of those movies where I was like, okay, when I'm old enough, I'm going to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. And I... Uh, I remember liking it initially, but it wasn't. I I wasn't like very developed in my like taste in film yet. I think I was probably sixteen or so, and uh, but it was a movie I kept revisiting, and I just kind of fell in love with it because it's just it's just the perfect uh, marriage of two artistic minds that could have never ever collaborated right and it would it almost makes more sense that they wouldn't collaborate like it's it's crazy that we have this uh and and it's at this point in time in both of their careers and it's so cool and to me this movie like a lot of the movies that i rewatch are uh, here, a couple things that I just absolutely love about this movie. I love that it's Adam Sandler, our first time seeing him be a dramatic actor and that he's actually good at it. I love that we're seeing Paul Thomas Anderson do like a romantic comedy. Yeah. And I love that this is what Paul Thomas Anderson doing a romantic comedy is. Because mm-hmm. it is. It's incredibly funny. And I love a good you know love story i i really do actually like love a a really well executed love story and i think that this kind of is that but this is also like so dark and i think it's right. just because anything paul thomas anderson does is going to have that edge to it and that's so cool to me and i also love that this is just kind of like a tight like 90 minute yeah pta movie it's it's just it's great, and I love a thriller. And this is a—it grabs you right away as soon as that piano mysteriously gets left in the street within the first like two minutes <laughs> yeah. of the film. It's like, all right, yeah. I'm in. So this is a movie I go back and watch every couple years at least. Um, so yeah, that's uh, great, buddy. I'm glad I own it on 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 Blu-ray now. Um, it looks absolutely stunning. And, uh, yeah, you know, I could also see this movie, you know, being a little obtuse to people, too. And and also, for a PTA film, I think this movie is a little bit more on the experimental side. Like, not that he is known for making, like, uh, straight-down-the-barrel, linear, <laughs> like, um, normal, quote-unquote, movies. But this one has a little bit more mystery to it than I think the rest of his films do, than a lot of his films do. Like for example, Magnolia is in Boogie Nights. They're just stories, right? But like this one, like mm. you said, like there's this whole mysterious piano that shows up. A car explodes right away, and we never find out what that was about. Like, there's a lot of things that happen in this that I think uh, some people, like moms and stuff, could watch this film and be like, "I don't get this. <laughs> like, what is, <laughs> what is happening?" And I think that's another thing that I like about the film is that it has like weird choices and weird mysterious like um unexplained things in it or or things that are left up to your interpretation um you know that that to me f- it makes the film feel a little bit a little bit m- different than i think even some of pta's other other films like the phantom thread for example is a film that's just very it's very straightforward in its presentation it, the premise is kind of crazy and the the performances are great but there's no mystery to the phantom thread you know 
Um, right. Uh, but this does. This has a lot of weird stuff. And I can't wait to get... Uh, do you want to do a little bit of trivia before we get into the film? Because there's some good stuff in here. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, um, you know, to like to your point, Eric, like Paul Thomas Anderson is is very aware of what of that this is what he refers to as an art house Adam Sandler film. <laughs> that is like the direct yeah, quote he uses. Um, apparently, he first announced that his follow up to Magnolia, which is a three hour long epic multicast crazy film, would be an Adam Sandler comedy. And the people at Cannes Film Festival all laughed like he was saying it kind of as a joke, I think. But I, I wonder if around this time, either he was serious or if that uh, that joke or that idea sort of infected him. And he started going like, what if I did make like an Adam Sandler <laughs> uh, comedy? Um, I also love that this film puts Adam Sandler in an echelon with like Daniel Day-Lewis and uh, Joaquin Phoenix, like where it's like something, whatever PTA saw in Adam Sandler, that sort of elevated um, Adam Sandler to this no- another tier, you know, because you know what I mean? We're like, uh, PTA uses actors very sparingly and he tends to work with the mm-hmm. same people a lot. So by virtue of Adam Sandler being in this movie, he, you kind of have to go like, yeah, he, he can carry a PTA film. You know who else can Daniel day Lewis. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it kind of, I, to me, it puts him kind of in that category. Um, this is the first movie to get a positive, re- uh, Adam Sandler movie to get a, fir- a positive review from Roger Ebert. Apparently. All right. Pretty cool. Um, uh, this is the shortest film Paul Thomas Anderson has written and directed. Yes, by I'm gonna say at least by like 25 minutes. Right. I think yeah. All of his films, <laughs> other films, are at least two hours. Um, all of Barry's seven sisters are played by one actress and six non-professionals, four of whom were close relations. So those are like close friends of PTAs. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense, right? Like when you see that whole all those sisters, like they don't feel like actors to me. Right. They're uh, they're all great when they're all bickering yeah. and stuff at the beginning uh in in the at the dinner party is funny. Yeah. And the one the one actor is Marilyn Ricecub who I just absolutely adore in this movie. Yeah, she's great. She was at all, she was also in Magnolia. She was cut for time apparently. She's in a deleted scene mm. though. Um yeah. Oh, a fake commercial for Dean Trumbull's mattress store was shot but cut and released as a DVD extra. That's what, that's what I was telling you about. The scene is a remake of a real circulated video known as The Mattress Man. A fake asphalt floor made of cushion was used for Philip Seymour Hoffman to land on after hopping off of a set of mattresses to get the illusion of hurting himself on the ground. <laughs> Coincidentally, what does remain in the film is a shot of Barry jumping off a low balcony onto the asphalt of the street, though his landing is not shown and he is also not hurt. Um, Sean Penn was originally going to play Dean Trumbull, <laughs> but had to drop out. <laughs> uh, that would have been crazy. Uh, so I guess here's here's something because we could do um, uh, trivia all day long. But uh, what do you think of the Superman theory with uh, this? Film? I was reading about that a little bit before this and um, before recording. I I don't. My my thing is I just don't know much about Superman. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know right. to like really. So I I don't know. I actually kind of part of me hopes that it's not a Superman like not like a Superman analogy kind of a thing. Right. Just because Superman isn't something that I'm super interested in. Right. And it kind of almost feels like out of the box a little bit for PTA to create something that's 
just an analogy to Superman. It just seems a little um, uh, out of character to me for him, but uh, yeah, I don't it, know. What I, What do you think well, about it? I don't know. I guess I think it's fun, but I don't I don't I agree with you where I don't I don't know if I care one way or the other if if this was an intentional thing or not, but I also um don't think it was intentional. But here's here's yeah. I'll just say what it is. The internet fan theory posts that the film contains numerous references to Superman. For instance, Barry's always wearing a blue suit. By collecting the free air miles, he can now fly anywhere he wants. And in fact, in one scene, he actually attempts to physically fly, jumping from a balcony landing on the street. Finally, when Lena holds Barry, her red dress resembles a cape. So those are mm. sort of the ideas there. Uh, I, I kind of like that. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's not... I don't. I also agree with you, or I don't think it's... I don't think it's actually the case. Um... The uh, the f- the the address uh, the, the frequent flyer coup- promotional coupon things with healthy choice is all based on a true story. Um, that was based on a real thing that somebody did to exploit <laughs> healthy choice. Yes, David uh, David Phillips. Right. Yeah. Um, he accumulated one point two five million air miles, which is absolutely insane. Uh, and that's probably about all we should do as far as um, trivia goes. I yeah, mean, there's I didn't find a ton about this movie. I didn't find a ton about like the production process of this movie. Right. Uh, Robert Ellswit. I mean, he's the cinematographer uh, for this film as well as other PTA films. He, you know, used a special kind of film in this to like get that lighting effect that we see, where it's like you can shoot in low light, but it causes the shadows to be really pronounced. Like, yeah. So if you notice in like the first shot, for example, it's Barry really small in the frame with all that darkness around him. Like that iconic look of Punch Drunk Love comes from yes. using also, this. Yeah. He's the, uh, if you've ever seen Nightcrawler, he was a cinematogra- cinematographer oh, for Nightcrawler, which That's is a great movie. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. He did both of these. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, there's, there's a lot here. Uh, let's see what else with production. Not a lot. Um, I think the the uh, idea of PTA making a Sandler film was even weird to Adam Sandler. Like, I just recently watched an interview where Adam Sandler mentioned like what happened was I think it was through Tom Cruise, a mutual friend of theirs, Tom Cruise. After uh, Tom and them wrapped Magnolia, he was like, "Hey," uh, he called up Adam Sandler and was like, "You got to meet my friend Paul." Uh, he wants to ask you something. And then on the phone, Paul Thomas Anderson was like, Hey Adam, I'd like to write you a movie if that's okay. And Adam Sandler didn't know who Paul Thomas Anderson was. So he was like, okay, sure. Yeah. And then Magnolia (laughs) was in the theaters at the time. And so Adam Sandler recounts that he went to go see Magnolia just to see what Paul Thomas Anderson was about. And after leaving Magnolia, he called up Paul Thomas Anderson and said, please don't write me a movie. (laughs) Like, because apparently he didn't want to mess it up that was oh i see yeah okay he was like he watched it he was so blown away by magnolia he was like i can't do this Uh, this is not you got the wrong guy (laughs) um interesting so okay so it sounds like yeah okay that makes sense so this was uh i wonder if adam sandler had really considered doing dramatic acting at all before this i actually wonder you know how much of his performance he um thought 
he was doing a dramatic performance for. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I wonder, because he is, he's really funny in it. Like, I, I think he's hes just, hes his character is like a guy with, like, some pretty deep, like, uh anxiety issues and some some he's got some mental stuff going on but i i mean it's a good question like i think some, another way to ask this question is like do the, does he know what kind of movie he's in like while making it you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah i mean i think it, it's i mean it's obvious from uncut gems and this that he can do dramatic acting really well but i do wonder with this movie specifically, how much of it is like the tone of how, you know, it was all cut together and, 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 you know, um, after, after the fact, but yeah, I don't know either way. I mean, I do think this is a really just amazing performance. I'm just curious, uh, just as a, as like a punch drunk love nerd, what was kind of his approach like going into it yeah i I mean Um, he's obviously super talented um and this is sort of at the i would say the crap like the peak of his career was probably in the late 90s so this is just we're just starting to get into the other side of his career or like whatever you want to call the two-thirds part of his career where like you said click and all these movies are about to come out and a crazy nights and i would call this sort of a fallow area of his career like it's not like my favorite time period we're in at this point but for adam sandler specifically but this movie gets made and i you, you gotta wonder like yeah is he just kind of trying to do his comedic thing and pta is just capturing that in moments and then constructing like a, a love story around it or is Adam Sandler like in in this movie trying to kind of do? I mean, he's whatever he's doing, he's like really nailing it. And I think that just from like I watched a bunch of PTA interviews last night, and kind of got a little bit more of his perspective on writing a film. And apparently, he leaves like a lot of open spaces in his scripts for the actors to mm. do whatever they want. Like he doesn't. Oh, I like that. Yeah, That's he cool. yeah he doesn't like uh, try to confine the actors. He says that like writing a screenplay is not real writing. Like it's it's for the f- screen, so it's not like a book. So he doesn't try to like go too heavy. He he says it, he says he writes as concisely as possible, and he really likes it when actors fight him for what they want to do on their in their films. So I think in, to work with PTA successfully, you kind of have to bring a lot to the table as an actor interesting yeah um all right let's dive into the plot here uh barry egan a single man who owns a company that markets themed toilet plungers uh and other novelty items he has seven overbearing sisters who ridicule and emotionally abuse him regularly uh, and he leads a lonely life punctuated by his fits of rage and social anxiety. <laughs> One day he witnesses an inexplic- inexplicable car accident, picks up an abandoned harmonium from the street, and encounters Lena Leonard, a coworker for one of his sisters, Elizabeth. Lena had uh, orchestrated this meeting after seeing him in a family picture belonging to Elizabeth. We don't find all that stuff out until later, but... Um, Yes, right. I would say that this, I think about this every time I watch this movie, is that this first five minutes of this movie is like just so captivating. Mm-hmm. There are so many little things that happen. First of all, it's like, what is Adam Sandler, like, what is this 
character's life. He's working in this weird like warehouse thing by himself. How, what's with the blue suit? What's with this piano getting dropped off, the car accident, the random woman coming over and him, you know, her asking him a weird favor, but also him like just being incredibly awkward. There's just so many uh, very interesting things going on right away. I agree. Yeah. I also think that um, this movie does anxiety better than any other movie I've seen. I mean, yeah. uh, well, actually, I take that back. Like, the Safdie brothers do anxiety a little better than this. But I think that this film is really good at uh, really putting you in the moment of a very uh, high... It's like high stakes and very chaotic, like, moments where, you know, most people would have to go take a beat. Like, Adam Sandler's thrown into, like where the phone's ringing over and over again and everyone's trying to get his attention and his sisters are coming in. And like, and this scene is no different where it's like a car explodes, a harmonium gets dropped off. A woman shows up. He's on the phone trying to figure that's another thing you, you, uh, you didn't mention too from the beginning is that he, when we meet him, he's on the phone talking about, we don't know what yet, but it sounds like, uh, a coupon related thing. And you're like, (laughs) what are you, you, the question begs like, what is, what is any of this? Um, Right. And it's, it, but like you said, it's very <laughs> captivating. And I think visually, that opening shot of Sandler in the, at his desk alone, which here's something to consider too. Where is he in that scene? Like, what desk is that? What building is yeah, he? Yeah, because we don't see that. Again, yeah, his, his office is a different room. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, where he puts the harmonium is inside of an office. Like, so where, what desk is he at, and what building is he in? Yeah, that is strange. Yeah, now that I think about it, that is that is strange. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's almost uh, like he's. It's almost like this whole beginning is sort of like exists within a dream or something. It exists in some sort of bubble. Um, so be- what is? Do you have it? What What is going on with the car crash? Because the car crash is the one thing that I'm not. I don't really understand. My theory leaving the film was that this whole movie is sort of a, a big extended analogy for what it's like to fall in love and get your life mm. together. And I think that um, what a lot of this stuff represents is just sort of the chaos of what it is to be like a single bachelor or something. And, ju- and, and also the chaos of what it's like when you introduce a new person into your life. So like, like it kind of, it's kind of an on the nose metaphor for me, but when Barry, when Barry Egan walks outside and witnesses a car explode and a piano get dropped off, it's sort of like a metaphor for him meeting Lena. It's sort of like in, in, in a tie, it's almost like a cyclone hit the moment he met her. It's like, there was so much chaos going on. It's almost like she's bringing some sort of, new chaos to his life um or something like that that's sort that's sort of what i what i sort of interpreted this moment as um see like it's like she brings chaos right but she also brings this sort of stability and that's what i think the harmonium is is like you know it's like boom it's like oh my god that's what love is right it like hits you in the chest it's like a car explosion hits you in the chest but then it's also this soft sort of warm music too at the same Mm. time i like that 
Um, Barry goes to his sister's birthday party uh, where the rest of his sisters ridicule him. I do. I don't want to pass up the scene where he's talking to the like potential clients, <laughs> and they just he, he just keeps getting phone calls from his sister, and then he tries to break the uh, unbreakable toilet plunger, yes. and it just shatters. Yes, that's so good. It's so great. Um, yeah, and him being like, "That's clearly one of our older models, Lance. Would you get me a newer?" It's like so embarrassing. <laughs> I love how much. We learn about Barry from his sisters, like nagging him, uh, like seriously, you can't, you have to come this time. You can't just right. sit in your apartment every day or whatever. It's great. Um, they bring up an incident from when he was younger, where he threw a hammer through their sliding glass window after they kept calling him gay boy. <laughs> uh, he respects. Uh, he reacts angrily, shattering his sister's window. Uh, he then talks to his brother-in-law where he asks if he can give him the phone number to a therapist. Do you know, did uh, you know this was Robert Smigel? No, I was trying to figure out who the hell is that guy. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's Saturday TV Funhouse. <laughs> <laughs> that's Ro- that's SNL's Schmeigel. Robert Smigel. That's a friend, clearly yeah. a friend of Adam Sandler's, um, and it's cool that he's in this movie. Love it. Yeah. Um... Coping with his loneliness, Barry calls a phone sex line, but the operator attempts to extort money and sends her four henchmen, who are brothers, to collect him, or to collect. Uh, the complications, this complicates his bi- bi- budding relationship with Lena, as well as his plans to exploit a loophole in a healthy choice promotion and amass a million frequent flyer miles by purchasing large quantities of pudding. So... We kind of this Wikipedia entry completely skips over like the uh, sort of beginning of the relationship with Lena. Right, but Lena was supposed to be at this dinner party. Um, Marilyn Rice Cub's character really wanted to bring her, but Barry said no, mm-hmm. and um, they end up visiting him, Barry, at his work. Right to get and, lunch. Yes, have this super awkward. Uh, interaction where Barry's kind of reluctant and like awkward and and uh eventually Lena goes back and asks him to dinner and he says yes um one of my favorite jokes in this or my favorite lines is before the dinner party when Barry's making up an excuse he says he has to renew his gym membership yeah as if that would take an entire night (laughs) (laughs) right yeah no uh I think uh, yeah, I love this so much. I love this moment that we get with uh, Emily Watson, too, where she goes out to her car and then has that moment of, like, no, I'm going to go back in. And it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I love it. I, I think it's really it's good. good. I also think, like, um, uh, so this this whole thing about uh, the phone sex line and the brothers and the healthy choice to me again really accentuates this theory i'm still sort of you know coming to about how chaotic your life feels before you get into a relationship like anyone's life like kind of is 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 it's going on a path right and then and then as soon as another person comes in it really like shines a light on just how kind of crazy <laughs> Like your life has become at some points. And to me, it's very relatable that Barry Egan is 
he's in so much hot water with like this phone sex line and this healthy choice thing that he's embarrassed about and these people coming after him that he's like constantly lying to Lena right off the bat. And the movie seems to be like an exercise in somebody warming up to letting another person into their life. And I mean, that's pretty obvious, but it's just like you, you get to see him slowly start to soften up over time and like actually tell the truth to Lena and like her patience with him is I think really exemplary. And again, very emblematic of this. It reminded me of when I started dating Jackie, just how crazy my life was and how many things that I didn't even want to have to explain to her, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, like, 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 yeah. like what improv was, for example, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know? And so I would just like, I wouldn't lie, but I would tell these like, you know, Oh, it's, it's, don't worry about it. You know? Oh, don't worry about that. Don't, it's okay. Don't, don't worry. You know, like, uh, just like trying to make excuses or like, or like yeah. make things seem better than they were. Not even lying, but at some points he just like brings up his own problems and just denies them without her bringing them up. Like right. there's one point where he's like, <laughs> he's just like, I don't freak out like my sisters say that I do or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's so good. Uh, at, so Lena, she had talked about going to Hawaii on this business trip. Of course, um, Barry had lied and said that he had a business trip coming up. Um, right. <laughs> so after Lena leaves for Hawaii on her trip, Barry decides to follow her. Um, he does. Uh, he can't get redeem his frequent flyer miles, but uh, he goes anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, he arrives and calls Elizabeth to find out where Lena is staying. Dude, this scene when- is so... I. It's like it's so satisfying to me for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why yeah. I love hearing him yell at his sister on the phone. He's like standing up to her for the yeah. first time. I know it's like so aggressive and crazy, but it's to me it's so funny. <laughs> it's great. Um and he's just in the middle of a like parade yeah, basically. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when his sister starts abusing him again, Barry snaps, uh demands the information. Uh, Lena is overjoyed to see Barry. Uh, incredible shot that we see in the middle. Uh, There's all those people walking past the the silhouettes, and we see him kiss and uh, the beach or whatever in the background is just really good. Uh, they spend time together and make love. Uh, at first, Barry explains that he is in Hawaii on a business trip by coincidence, but soon admits that he came for her. Uh, when Barry's sister calls Lena in Hawaii. Uh, Lena tells her that she had not had any contact with Barry, loyally preserving his and their privacy. The romance develops further, and Barry finally feels some relief from the emotional uh, isolation he has endured. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at some point, uh, important to point out that I think he's still he's in Hawaii when he does this, where he calls the um, mattress man. Right, or he finds out the phone sex like uh, operator. Mm-hmm. Uh, he leaves a message, right? That's like, uh, I I think I know what you guys are doing, and I yes. I just want you to know that uh, you can't do this to me. Like it's it's so it's almost like adorable how childlike yeah. he is, sort of handling this this very real threat to him. Right. of identity theft. Um, it's almost like he didn't he didn't think he had any. Uh, ground to stand on until he started 
ro- really romantically pursuing Lena. Like she's like you can see his confidence being bolstered incrementally every scene in the film that he is with mm-hmm. Lena. Yeah. Um, after they return home, the four brothers ram their car into berries, <laughs> leaving Lena mildly injured. Um, yeah, this is a is shocking new- moment. I think. Very intense. We yeah. also didn't. We also didn't really talk about the first encounter with the brothers. That is also really shocking. Uh, we mentioned mm-hmm. it a bunch in the trivia, but like that moment where he's running from them and he's kind of, he's kind of almost like he's almost like panting like an animal, and he jumps. He does that clean, full horizontal jump into the air. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like an iconic scene from this film, but it's really just like it's really crazy. Um, yeah, they're just like calling him a pervert over and over again, and really just like exploiting him. Apparently those four blonde brothers are real brothers in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Um, there's a really good moment uh, in Adam Sandler's performance when you just see him, his kind of look of defeat after they catch up to him when he's running and they, and they say like, what are you running from? We know where, or where are you running to? We already know where you live. Right. Yeah. And he just slows down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also like right after he gets punched, I feel like this is exactly how I would react in this, that situation. Like right after he gets punched. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seemed like a very realistic punch and then he just sprints away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with his newfound freedom from loneliness and jeopardy, a surprisingly aggressive and poised Barry adeptly fights off all four of the goons in a matter of seconds using a tire iron. Yeah, it's a very uh, satisfying sequence. It's very, I, I don't know if you, I found it to be incredibly oh, yeah. satisfying to watch him beat the shit out of these guys finally and then just hand the last guy the tire iron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wanting to make sure Lena is recovered, Barry leaves her at the hospital and tries to end his harassment by calling the phone sex line back and speaking to the supervisor, who turns out to be Dean Trumbell. Uh, the owner of a mattress store in Provo, Utah. Yeah, this uh, this whole thing is is crazy because they're also like mm-hmm. having a very confusing conversation. Like, it's a lot of like, it doesn't feel real, right? Where he's like, right? No, you go. No, you. Oh, did you just say it's like it's like it's like no <laughs> no one would get that upset at that. Like, it's just like super. Yeah, super. This weird. has become. Like a gif that people use to tell people to shut up is <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's <laughs> whole little tie ride. Uh, Barry confronts Dean face to face. Dean, at first trying to intimidate Barry, uh, finds him more intimidating after he tells him that he is in love and it makes him stronger than anyone else. Uh, an end to the harassment is implied once Dean learns that Barry has come all the way from California and confronts him instead of going to the police, though Dean tries to save face by getting in his last word. That's that, Mattress Um, Man. Say, that's that, Mattress Man. Like, that's so... It's such a weird idea, but somehow in this universe, if you say that's that, it means it's over? (laughs) Like, I guess in the logic of real life, like, why would we assume that that means that he's going to quit bugging him? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This this guy though, this this guy that Philip Seymour Hoffman plays is like very much like is a very real like real life villain. Like I like this guy 
exists. Pro- there's oh, probably yeah. like different guys that are exactly like this guy. Yeah, he has multiple like, sexual assault charges on his record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so Barry returns to Lena's apartment and tells her everything, uh, including the phone sex episode and the go- Dean's goons, and begs for her forgiveness pleading his loyalty and to use his frequent flyer miles to accompany her on all future business trips in just six to eight weeks after his pudding miles are processed. <laughs> uh, she was upset he left the hospital, but eventually agrees, and they embrace happily. Sometime later, Lena approaches Barry in his office while he plays the harmonium. Yeah, And I think there's we find out that some of the music that's been played, I, I always forget about this at the end. But the, we find out the like the score kind of blends in with Barry playing the harmonium, right? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I keep forgetting that that is how it ends. And every time I watch it, and I'm always like, next time I watch this, I'm gonna listen to see if that harmonium sound that he's playing where it's placed throughout the rest of the movie, if it is. Do you have do you remember hearing it in any other parts of the movie? Yeah, oh yeah. No, for sure. Like his the okay. harmonium, like when he's playing it, I think in the beginning he doesn't know what he's doing and it's and so it's like off key and stuff with the score. But the score is Got written it. in such a way that it like it leaves a lot of open space for him to kind of tinker around and like figure it out. And then, and then by the end of the film, like, yeah, he's actually kind of nailing it a little bit better and it's great. That makes sense. Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, he's learning how to play the piano, you know, he's, and it's like a motif that he keeps kind of returning to as a, as a place of, uh, calm or sedation or peace is like, uh, playing the uh, frequently during moments of high anxiety, he'll run to the piano and sort of just push one button of it. Uh, there's a great moment where he punches the wall and his fists are bleeding and he's crying, but then he returns to the harmonium as like a place to calm down. Um, and his, his wounds spell out love on his, on his oh. knuckles when he punches the wall. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I watched an interesting YouTube video that um, points out a lot of the, the use of red and blue mm. in this movie. That's one thing we didn't talk about is the sort of little like interlude uh, moments. We get a really good one at the beginning and we get a few throughout where it's just, I don't even know how to describe it, but just, or how it was done, but almost like, um, like lights, like very like, like fluorescent lighty, like colorful um, sort of transition right frames you know what i'm talking about yeah oh yeah for sure it's like it's like those like as watercolors or something um yeah yeah there's also like there's so much great stuff in here too like um the pudding at different points in the movie will talk to barry i don't know if you noticed (laughs) that like like there's actually a faint uh you can hear a woman's voice connected to the pudding like it's like calling out to him barry um also, like, uh, there's people following him in the grocery store. <laughs> like, straight up, there's, like, there's like people who huh. follow him. There's even a big moment where he, like, he's looking down the... He's, he's, like, walking down the aisles, and you see a person following him, and then they're out of focus, and then he, like, looks down the aisle, and then they walk away really fast, as if they're caught. Um, hmm. Yeah, there's, like... So, there's, like, all these theories about how 
these are really aliens and that Lena is an alien, you know, kind of sent to earth to abduct Barry. Um, there's also like, uh, um, the idea of like the blues and reds, like Barry's color is blue and Lena's is obviously red, but whenever, after they have sex in Hawaii, the next time you see Lena, she's wearing a blue outfit. So it's like, it's almost oh, like they're, yeah, they're combining, they're becoming, they're becoming sort of, uh, or she's becoming more like him or, or they're kind of melding in some sort of way. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so much in this film. There's so much there. And, um, I also think the score is like absolutely amazing. Like I kind of mm-hmm. wish he would work with John Bryan again someday. Cause this is the last time he works with him. Cause that once he finds Johnny Greenwood, the rest of his career, I feel like is going to be with Johnny Greenwood, but this is um, the John Bryan years are, are really cool. Like I love the yeah. Magnolia score. I love Boogie Nights and I love, but the, the, the height is punch drunk love. Like that's the best of those scores. I think. Yeah. It's probably my favorite as well. Um, so Jeremy, let's hear it. What are your, your final thoughts on um, punch drunk love? My final thoughts are I th- I felt like this movie gets better every time I watch it. Uh, there's just it's so weird in that way. Like I notice new things every time. Um I am obsessed with the movie. I think it's great. I think, you know, I I'm going to give it as as for Chucky Freckles, I'm going to give it a 3.75, almost a 4. And nice. the only reason I'm not giving it a 4, which is I think what it might even deserve is because I do think like I do think some of PTA's other films are better. Like I do think there'll be blood is better than this, mm. but I do, but when we'll see, I might, I might actually end up going back on that and maybe changing the score later. But for now I feel like it's like almost perfection. If it wasn't for the heights of some of these other ones, I'd, I'm, I might go higher with it. But again, it's like, it's absolutely one of the most stunning films films ever made. Um, uh, for example, and and we're not alone in thinking this, Eric. Filmmakers Lee Un- uh, Uncrich, Judd Apatow, Kleber Mondaka, Barry Jenkins, Taika Waititi, and actors Bill Nye, Owen Wilson, and Timothy Chalamet have cited it as one of their favorite films. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, what about you, Eric? How are you feeling? Um... I love this. I, I mean, straight up, four out of four for me. Yeah, this is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I, I, you know, I would have to think on it a little bit more, but I think this might be like a top five movie for me. I just, I, I adore this movie so much. Uh, one of the things that I really like about it is um, it does get better for me too the more I watch it. But we talked about this when we talked about... Um, uh, what the hell is that Scorsese movie? After Hours. One of the things that I love about After Hours is it just captures the feeling of anxiety so well. And uh, I feel like this movie does that as well. Um, specifically, like, social anxiety and more of the, like, paranoia side of it. And, um, you know, this is something that's really personal to me because, uh, you know, as someone who de- has like panic attacks and things like this, like I can identify with Barry's character a lot <laughs> and almost to a point where when I'm watching it, it's like, 
soothing to me to see that I'm not as bad as this guy. Like, I'm not... <laughs> as like crippled by just pure paranoia and anxiety as this guy. But I can also um, like relate to it in a lot of ways and relate to his character. And I can relate to like what you were talking about, about like something new happening in your life, like falling in love with someone or whatever. And just like sort of the, for some, for a guy like Barry and for, you know, a guy like me, like something incredibly good happening in your life can also trigger like a whole new kind of anxiety or a whole new type of, um, you know, paranoia or whatever. And uh, I just think it's like it, it's it's it sort of seems like this wouldn't be something that someone with anxiety would would enjoy watching a movie that to me basically is about anxiety mm -hmm. but it is and i think for me this movie is someone with those issues actually winning like it's the process of them winning at something and uh like stepping out of their comfort zone for some greater purpose and ultimately it like working out for them and it's like an ugly process, and it's really difficult for them. But in the end, you know, he gets he gets Lena, and everything's good. Um, and yeah, I sort of love how it's just kind of wrapped up in this nice little bow at the end. And also, I think there's another side of me that's like, this movie has all these really crazy... Um, you know, like you were talking about the people following him in the supermarket and the pudding voices and all these different elements and there's, you know, different themes and people are really reading into this movie. But also, this is like, if you look at this movie on paper, I mean, this could just be in the hands of another director, like just a standard romantic comedy, like guy who works at a toilet plunger factory <laughs> with with anxiety problems falls in love with someone and the B story is, you know, he gets in trouble with this adult hotline and the C story is this like pudding scam. Like that's all really goofy. Mm -hmm. And like to turn that, it's just like a real testament to like, uh, what a director Paul Thomas Anderson is and what a, like his just having his own trademark style. Cause I bet you, if you read the punch drunk love script, having never seen the movie, you would be picturing, something in the same vein as like the hangover or something mm, like that. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, maybe not the hangover, but something along those, like a Judd Apatow kind of comedy movie. And I don't know. I just, this is a perfect directing, uh, perfect performance by Sandler. And I just love it so much. So four out of four easily. And uh, it is still my favorite PTA movie. Nice. Although the master is up there, so we'll see if the master. Yeah, it might take the cake. We don't know yet, but this it sounds like this viewing was very. You responded very uh, well to this. This oh this yeah. Last viewing. I would also want to just give it shout one more shout out to this film. On, I think this is also the last objectively happy ending Paul Thomas Anderson does in his films. Um, I feel like I think you're right. Boogie Nights. I don't think Heart Eight has a very happy ending, but I do think Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and Punch Drunk Love all end in a very positive way. 
Like they all end in like with what I would argue are happy endings. And Magnolia and Punch Drunk Love almost end kind of similarly with like the female lead, like looking into the camera, smiling kind of in a, in a way. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, from this point on, I think all of PTA's films sort of take on a new sort of direction. And uh, I would argue that, um, yeah, that, that like the, the idea of a happy ending or wrapping things up in a, in a way that is that where the characters come out on top is not necessarily a guarantee. No. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. Um, Jeremy, Next week we are uh, we've decided to skip the uh, I don't even remember what it's called but the Paul Thomas Paul W S Anderson, Anderson movie. Uh, yeah. TV movie <laughs> the failed and, pilot or whatever yes and we are so if we're skipping that we're going right into Resident Evil Jeremy oh and, yeah uh, we'll have a guest for that episode too perfect mm-hmm. lovely yeah. Um, very excited for that. Jeremy, uh, anything you want to plug before we sign off? Ah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ocarina of Crime, and please do. Um, cool. So, yeah, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy, weekly bonus episodes, $5 a month, and Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. Mm-hmm.